Tonight on Farage, another bombshell for Boris Johnson, this time delivered by Cressida Dick, the boss of the Metropolitan Police. Can we really go on like this? We'll have a look at Poland, who were about to start building a huge border wall. Yet unlike America, when Trump did it, no one seems to be complaining. And joining me on Talking Pines, the lawyer, Nick Freeman, Acker, Mr. Loophole. But before all of that, let's get the news. Good evening. We should be discussing the most serious military situation in Europe since 1945. We should be discussing the six million people waiting for operations on the National Health Service and that number rising quickly. We should be discussing the rapidly rising cost of living and the impact whatever Putin does in the Ukraine could have on natural gas and oil prices. But I'm afraid we just cannot get away from the prime minister's problems. And there was another bombshell delivered this morning. It was a surprise. It came completely out of the blue. It came from Cressida Dick, who was talking to the London Assembly. She, of course, remember, is the commissioner, the boss of the Metropolitan Police, the most senior police figure in this country. And whilst we'd all been waiting for the Sue Gray report, we didn't expect Cressida Dick to say that the, <clears throat> Met the Metropolitan Police were launching an investigation. And they're doing it because, she says, there was evidence that those involved knew or ought to have known that what they were doing was an offence. But not to proceed with this would undermine the legitimacy of the law. And she finished by saying there was little ambiguity around the absence of any reasonable defence. I don't know how long a police investigation is going to take. We're told from news reports that are broken within the last hour that the Sue Gray report will be on the Prime Minister's desk this evening, and that at some point tomorrow, he will reveal its contents. It's a job to know what is really going on. Uh, the situation seems to get worse with every day that passes. We're now told that photographs of one of the parties or more of the parties have been given to Sue Gray, quite how she's got time to assemble all of this uh, and, and issue the report tonight. I don't know. In fact, none of us really know what's going on. But can we actually go on like this? And I guess we've got two choices. One is to say it just doesn't matter. To say, look, there are much more serious things going on in the Ukraine, within our own country, and why don't we just ignore uh, the way that our governing classes in Number 10 and Whitehall behave? But I don't think that, frankly, is possible. The other is to say that actually we can't go on like this, and perhaps at some point in time, people, but particularly Conservative members and Conservative members of Parliament, need to face the inevitable, which is that trust in this Prime Minister has gone and that it isn't going to return. And I know you'll be emailing me, you'll be telling me, stop bashing Boris. I'm not. I'm telling you that in those red wall seats, trust in the Prime Minister has gone and it's going to be very difficult to get it back. So I think the Conservative Party needs to face up to the truth of this and to do so pretty quickly. Can we go on like this? Please give me your views. You can email farage at gbnews.uk. Well, let's try and get the latest on all of this. Let's head to Downing Street and talk to GB News' political editor, Darren McCaffrey. Darren, rumour, counter-rumour. Do we actually know what is going on with the Sue Gray report? 
Well, it seems, Nigel, that we are now finally on the verge uh, of seeing that report. Uh, it's much speculated, as you said, that Sugre is expected to hand her report to Downing Street uh, later on uh, tonight, potentially even early tomorrow morning. And the expectation is that the Prime Minister will then uh, travel to the Commons, of course, for Prime Minister's question time. And then after that, that is when he will start taking questions from MPs on the substance of this report. Two big questions, though, uh, that first of all, the Labour opposition want to know is will they get advanced copies of the reports? Uh, will Downing Street simply issue this report uh, minutes before PMQs so that no one's really got the time to go through the detail ahead of those questions from MPs? And also, Nigel, to what extent uh, do we get to see this report? There is speculation that it could simply be a summary of it rather than the full report. Could the report, even if it is published in full, be redacted lots uh, where names and events are blackened out? And that could lead to suggestions that there's been some type of cover-up or that Downing Street, yet again, is not be wholly, wholly uh, truthful. I think all in all, though, uh, we are finally, it seems, at that stage where we are going to see this report. That, that stage in which, as you've rightly pointed out, Conservative MPs are going to have to make up their minds about whether either to back or sack uh, the Prime Minister, irrespective in some ways, I think, of the police investigation. Some may well hold out to that, but I think Sue Gray's report could well be decisive in all of that. And I will add, though, on the police investigation. I know some Conservative MPs and others have been trying to, to do this down today, saying it's not that important or there are other uh, big issues. Don't forget this is only the second time in a century that police have investigated the goings-on in this building behind me. Under any estimation, that cannot be good news for a government or, more specifically, for the Prime Minister himself. No, Darren, thank you for that briefing. And, and Darren is right, you know, because <laughs> what Cressida Dick is talking about is an investigation into behaviour that would be deemed to be criminal. And let's remember that hundreds of people were fined during lockdown for breaking the rules. And it seems pretty clear that in some cases, not with all the parties, I get it, but in some cases, those rules were broken. Can we really go on like this? Because my fear is whatever comes out of Sue Gray, whatever happens with that report, we're going to have to wait. I don't know how long for the police to investigate this. Is it a week? Is it a fortnight? Is it a month? Is it two months? I just don't know. But all the while that's happening, frankly, the country cannot be governed, and it's difficult for us to have a real voice in the world at a time of great crisis. Well, I'm joined by Andrew Rosnell, MP, MP for Romford, Brexiteer, a Conservative Party loyalist, and I think still Boris Johnson supporter. But, Andrew, let me put it to you. We simply... I mean, the government's paralysed. It can't do anything as these reports come out day after day. And I know that Dominic Cummings is vindictive and negative and couldn't give a damn what damage he does to Boris Johnson, the Conservative Party, the country. But we are where we are. We can't go on like this. Nigel, you're completely right. We can't go on like this. It has to come to an end. And I think that for people like me, I want the Prime Minister to get on with the job that he was elected to do. He's got Brexit done, but there's still things that need to be sorted. Northern Ireland Protocol is a disaster. We need to get rid of that. The boats and the illegal immigration need to be sorted out. Public services need reforming. We've got the worst national debt in the history of this country. We need to get the economy motoring again. Trade deals around the world. There's so many very important things I want Boris to focus well, on. Well, so do I, but he can't do it. All the while, he's paralysed by a crisis that goes on day after day. And arguably... 
with what Cressida Dick has said this morning, and you heard the words uh, that, I, that, that I read out a moment ago, I mean, arguably, this actually gets worse with every day that goes by. So how can he get on and do all those important things that you just talked Look, about? Nigel, you and I have been in politics a long time, and things come and go. What seems really the end of the world today... In a week's time, it's forgotten. Andrew, let's this see. Andrew, let's see. this isn't going. This is the point I'm making. You may be right. And the point you I'm making to right. you is that it goes on and on and on, and it leads to paralysis. It, it might be true, what you're saying, but I still think that we've got to see what the Sue Gray report says and see what else happens in the coming days. I've been in my constituency over the weekend, and yes, there are some people quite angry about this, mm. they're talking about it, but the majority are actually much more concerned about some of the big issues the nation is facing. We have to remember, and it's actually partly thanks to you, that Boris got that huge majority that he did. Mm. And thank God that he did, because we got out of the European Union. And what worries me, Nigel, at the moment, is that there are a lot of Remainers who think get rid of Boris and will soften up Brexit. Well, that's we the Lord Hesseltine. Allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean that's the Lord Hesseltine line, and he was. The, I saw him again on one of the breakfast <laughs> programs. I mean, it's it's pretty boring stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, Brexit. Frankly, we're not going back into the European Union, whatever happens. Uh, so I don't. I, I you know, even as somebody who dedicated most of his adult life to getting us out of the European Union, I'm not worried about that. But you talked about what Boris was elected to do. Hmm. And I could come back at you and say he wasn't elected to go for net zero. Uh, but the most important thing is the Brexit process brought back into politics a lot of people who've given up on politics. Mm. You know, just look at the turnout in the Brexit yeah, referendum. Absolutely. And actually, even the 2019 general election turnout was, by modern comparative standards, a very good turnout. So millions of people who've come back into politics, who thought, hoped and expected that Brexit was a new dawn of a new kind of politics. And what they've got is a Prime Minister who appears to have a very serious problem in telling the truth, and they don't trust him anymore. Right. Particularly in the Red Wall. Nigel, I agree with so much of what you're saying, and that's why I've said to the Prime Minister he needs to get back on track and focus on policy. Net zero, you're right. I didn't get into politics to make people poor by following this ideology of net zero. Hmm. I didn't get into politics to undermine the independence of our country. Like you, I got into politics because I believe in this country and I want to see an agenda that puts our country first. And Boris was elected to do that. And I just yes, think that was. we're being sidetracked but, but my point, with a lot of unnecessary Andrew, things. Andrew, with all moment. due respect, my point is about this word trust. You know, Brexit, it actually made people say, wow, we can do things. We can change the system. Our vote really matters. And yeah. a lot of people out there uh, who'd never, whose families had not voted Conservative, they've been Labour, you know, mm -hmm. since the First World War, um, pretty much. And, and, and they've gone back into politics and they're feeling let down. They're feeling that trust has been betrayed. Yeah. You can talk to me about him getting back on track in terms of policy. Mm -hmm. But if trust has been lost... It can't be regained. And I think that is the problem that you as, as Conservative members right. of Parliament are facing. You're right. Trust is everything in politics. And I think what builds trust is when you truly believe in what you're saying. Too many politicians say what they think they should say or they read from the script. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Doesn't Boris about. Johnson do that? Boris needs to look people in the eye and say what he truly believes in and what he's going to do in the next three years as Prime Minister. If he can convince the country he's got a clear and precise agenda for the country to get our country in the right direction and not get sidetracked with some of these issues, then I think people could trust him right. again. But 
The onus is on him to do this. Andrew Rosendale, do you still trust Boris Johnson? I do trust him. I believe that he's got cornered with some of these things. He's made mistakes. Boris is a human being like we are. We all make mistakes. But he's Prime Minister and he has a duty to the country to do the right thing on which he was elected. So it is now up to him, once he's report, this report's out of the way, mm -hmm. to actually show to the British people that he's got a clear vision for our country. And if he can do that, I think he can rebuild trust. Andrew Rosendahl, thank you for joining us here thank on you, GB News. And there you are, you see, folks. You say I'm a Boris basher. Well, there was a Boris loyalist there making all the arguments for the Prime Minister, and I think that's really, really important. So, look, tell me, what do you think? Do you think we can go on like this? Do you think it needs to be brought to a decisive end? I think we've reached the point where it does. Tell me what you think. Farage at gbnews.uk. So the intervention of Cressida Dick, and it was all rather dramatic, done at the London Assembly this morning. It was a big surprise. Let's see Cressida Dick in action this morning. Recognising that there might be some occasions where we would investigate retrospectively, we generated some guidelines, only guidelines, uh, but guidelines that we have stuck to. There has to be some kind of evidence, not just somebody saying something. There has to be some sort of start point, some sort of evidence. But my three factors were and are, there was evidence that those involved knew or ought to have known that what they were doing was an offence. We're not investigating would significantly undermine the legitimacy of the law and where there was little ambiguity around the absence of any reasonable defence. So in those cases where those criteria were met, the guidelines suggested that we should potentially investigate further and uh, end up giving people tickets. Well, there we are. Well, I'm joined now by Shabnam Chowdhury, former detective superintendent at the Metropolitan Police. Shabnam, this really was a big surprise to many of us this morning. We've been waiting for the Sue Gray report. We hadn't expected this. First thing I want to ask you, uh, those words, those three factors that Cressida Dick used there, I mean, she means it, doesn't she? I think she was very clear on what she meant. Um, three points which she labelled. One was that those um, involved uh, knew or were likely to know that it would be an offence. Secondly, the, um, uh, the law, the elements of law. Well, the fact is the government had set the law already. And the third is the ambiguity that there was absolutely no defence. So really important points that she's raised there this, uh, this morning. And I think that uh, that could have been over a period of the last couple of months where they have not necessarily been investigating but working closely with the Cabinet Office. Um, they may have had some access to Sue Gray's report, public admissions that have been made in the public domain that, um, for example, where the Prime Minister said that he was at a uh, gathering for 10 minutes only, that may have uh, led to the final outcome for today. A yeah. real game changer. I mean, she did say that some of the reported events they weren't going to investigate because they didn't pass that bar of seriousness. I do wonder, in a sense, you know, we'd all been expecting Sue Gray to be the judge, the jury, the executioner. In a way, this is perhaps quite convenient for Sue Gray because she says she's profoundly worried about certain things um, and hands it over to the Met. So it's now, you know, I can't see anything dramatic coming out of Sue Gray now. This is in 
the police's hands. As I say, I thought the words that she used were pretty emphatic and pretty strong. But the debate I'm having here with the audience tonight is can we go on like this? Because we've been, in effect, month after month now, Partygate goes on and on and on. From your experience and your time in the police, how long is an investigation like this likely to last before we know whether charges will be laid or not? Well, investigations like this where fixed penalty notices are issued should be fairly straightforward and are normally dealt with fairly quickly. However, this is a different type of investigation because the fact is that this came to the notice of the Metropolitan Police back in December. Um, there's been two months that we've now passed December and January. Mm. We're near to the end of January. Ordinarily, they wouldn't be investigating by taking statements. They wouldn't be speaking to several different people. But now that this has been delayed somewhat, they will have to go through Sue Gray's report. They mm. will look at Sue Gray's report. They will look <coughs> at what information, what evidence has come out of that that may necessitate them speaking to other potential witnesses or people that have actually breached those COVID Or, or has Sue Gray done the work for them already? I think that there's an element of that. I think a fair amount of work has been... Because Met Police already said from the outset that they weren't going to do anything until Sue Gray's report had been concluded. Mm. But that has significantly changed, certainly in the last couple of days. Now, those three factors that Cressida Dick mentioned, mm. the, the, the second factor is a no... It's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? Because we know that, um, you know, the law, the legitimacy of the law well, was under, would have been undermined in any Hundreds case. of other people did receive fixed penalty notices, some of them for many, many thousands of pounds. I mean, I completely get that point. So, Jabnam, are we talking weeks here? Well, we should be talking weeks, but this could be a protracted and lengthy oh, investigation, oh no. which will actually you know, undermine further public trust, probably. But the fact is, the Metropolitan Police... Depends on the size of the report, depends on how many gatherings they are investigating. Mm. I believe there were 17 parties, something like that. It may be that they'll investigate 5, 10 or, or 12, whichever. But let's also not forget that these offences that have been um, believed to have been committed, they're summary-only offences. So you have to get to those who have committed those offences within the first six months. So it may be that the first six months from okay. May last year through to, say, October, whichever, the six months later, may not um, pass the threshold. Interesting. Thank you very much for joining us here on GB News. The prospect of this going on for months is almost too much for any of us to bear. In a moment, do you remember somebody before that wanted to build a wall? Build that wall. 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 Build... International condemnation for Donald Trump wanting to build a wall and particularly coming from the bosses of the European Union, from President Macron and many others. What a disgrace that somebody should want to build a wall on their borders. Well, Poland today began construction of a very, very major wall with Belarus and no one is complaining at all. In a moment, we'll find out why. As the Met announced they're going to investigate the Downing Street and Whitehall parties, I'm asking you, can we go on like this? Stephen says the Met just needs to look at the CCTV, simply find the lawbreakers, arrest them and find them. Greg says no, and we don't need to if the media drop their witch hunt. Connor says 
We can go on like this. It's just a smokescreen for something else. Dave says, no, we can't. It's time for Boris to go. It's embarrassing. And Rob says, Sue Gray is employed by Boris. The police under the control of Patel, who is, well, look, I've got my concerns, I have to say, about the Sue Gray report, but I do not think that what was said today by Cressida Dick was in any way a coincidence. This is the way that Sue Gray actually passes the problem, passes the ball down the line. Now, I mentioned before the break about the wall. So, Poland is about to embark on building a 180-kilometre stretch of border with Belarus, and it is a really serious wall. Five and a half metres high, including five metres of steel poles with concertina wire on the top. This is going to be a very, very big border barrier. But the really odd thing, you know, President Macron went and addressed the US Congress and condemned Trump, saying closing the door to the world will not stop the evolution of the world. And you can imagine Ursula von der Leyen, all the bosses in Brussels, condemning of Trump, and yet we're not hearing much noise about Poland. I wonder why. Well, I'm joined now by Magdalena Chidownik, freelance journalist based in Warsaw. And Magdalena, you've been at the border over the course of the last couple of days. Please uh, tell a British audience exactly what's happening. Um, good evening, everyone. Yes, I just returned from the border. I've been reporting um, about this crisis for the last couple of months. And uh, yes, the border guards, as they are the ones building the, uh, ordering and building the, the wall is just about to start tomorrow or after tomorrow, we're expecting the official press tours uh, to see the beginning of the construction of um, the wall. Meanwhile, the ecologists um, are protesting because the area that where the, the border, um, the wall will be built is actually under um, temporary, uh, under the uh, protection also UNESCO Protection and Nature 2000. So um, we are very much polarized about this topic inside Poland as well. Some people are, of course, supporting the government and the border guards building a, a, this sort of a fence, but there are also a lot of people um, condemning that too. Yeah, I do understand environmentalists are complaining um, about it, but environmentalists complain about everything, really, new roads or whatever it may be. But what interests me, Magdalena, is the European Union itself. You're not being condemned. I mean, Poland gets condemned by Brussels for many, many things, as you well know. But it appears there's no condemnation coming for the building of this wall. Why is that? Well, the only thing I can, I can say now, and it's uh, probably a little bit ironic, but they always say they're very deeply uh, concerned. And that's where it stops. Um, so we had a lot of um, European um, politicians coming to see the situation near the Polish-Belarusian border, and they were again very deeply concerned. But I do have the impression that they are very happy with um, Poland's government decisions on, um, you know, sending soldiers to the border, uh, building a white fence um, along the border, and now building this wall. I do think that European politicians are simply happy what, with, with what the Polish government is doing and officially saying that, of course, it's against, hu against human rights, but um, the only phrases that we, and sentences we can hear is that they are... Yeah, I mean, after the Mediterranean, 
After the public backlash of the sheer numbers that were coming, 2015, 16, 17, uh, I think you're right. That's why they're quite happy. Uh, there's a feeling that Belarus are abusing their position. Finally, Magdalena, if I may, is there any indication in terms of Polish public opinion about how the Polish people feel about this? Uh, there was a recent poll, and um, according to this, uh, to this recent poll, 70% of the Polish people were in favor of humanitarian aid operating near the border. As we know, uh, we do have NGOs um, working with the migrants crossing the border, but they are not allowed to approach the border itself. We have a no-go zone of around three uh, kilometers from the border. And this is uh, the, the, the area they cannot access. So Polish um, opinion was that the, the humanitarian aid uh, should be provided to the migrants. But uh, a lot of Polish people, and I would say half, half um, 50%, would agree with um, stopping the migration and um, dealing with it in a, in a quite firm way. And the other half would be more... Um, for taking refugee migrants, asylum seekers in, and then seeing what we could do with them and deal with this matter uh, properly and according to the international law. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, and we'll follow the progress of the building of this wall very, very closely. Well, talk about a what the Farage moment. A report that has come out overnight uh, tells us that the global effort to hit net zero by 2050 could cost as much as $275 trillion. This according to the global consultancy firm McKinsey. And it is an eye-watering figure. It would be something like $10 trillion every single year, which is several times the size of the US GDP. <laughs> um, I have to say, the report does also say the rewards of net zero could far exceed because of the dislocation and wars and catastrophe that climate change could cause. Uh, but I still return to the theme that I've mentioned here many, many times before. What is the point in all of us incurring massive, massive cost if China, India and Russia are going to completely ignore it? And I notice, very interestingly, back at COP26, uh, Boris Johnson very optimistically said, it was the end of coal. Well, so far this year, the coal price has rallied more than the gas price, more than the oil price. And coal consumption this year is expected to top 4 billion tonnes. It will be a record year for the amount of coal that's ever been burnt in the world. So we are a long, long way away from this. And yet we appear to be happy or <laughs> for you to pick up the costs. Now, the Australian Open is something that I've been very interested in. As you know, I went a couple of weeks ago and joined the Djokovic family out in Serbia. Uh, and I was disappointed, but not surprised, that in the end he was booted out of Australia. Even more extraordinarily, when the Australian Open started, there were people wearing T-shirts. Where is Peng Shui? You know, this is the tennis player, Chinese tennis player, who's been missing for weeks and whose safety, uh, whose liberty is very, very open to question. And literally, police were going up to people wearing these shirts, telling them they should remove them. I found the whole thing completely and utterly astonishing. Now, there has been overnight, um, Australia tennis overnight have changed the rules, and people are allowed to wear those T-shirts, though they're not allowed 
to carry big banners or act disruptively in any way at all. And I just want to say this. Tomorrow is Australia Day. Tomorrow is Australia's National Day. And perhaps people there would like just to take a little bit of time to reflect on what has happened to Australia as a country, this land that seemed to be full of such great optimism, of such freedom, that has now become the most extraordinarily authoritarian Western nation. Maybe the National Day is a time to have a think about that. I'm an outsider. You can tell me I'm poking my nose in where it's not welcome. But maybe a little reflection wouldn't be a bad thing. Loads more of your comments coming in. Marion says, Boris must go because corruption will grow. After all, the fish rots from the head. Carol says, I live in a red wall seat and I fully support my MP and Boris. Stop this witch hunt. One viewer says, we can't go on like this, Nigel, but what is the alternative? There really isn't one. We need to move on for now and wait for the next general election. Hang on. The next general election is not going to be until probably the May of 2024. I think it's almost intolerable to think that we could wait many, many weeks for the Met to report back. And I know some of you think that Boris and Number 10 are being treated unfairly. I know some of you feel that very, very strongly. But equally, there really are millions of people out there who say, the hell with you. We weren't allowed to see our parents, our elderly relatives. We weren't allowed to have Christmas. We weren't allowed to get together. And all the while, those that set the rules disobeyed them. And don't underestimate just how angry many of those people are. I really mean that. Chris says, the Remainers, the BBC and Boris haters are throwing everything at one last attempt to get him out. Peter says, I, for one, have had enough of this clown running the country. Well, <sighs> opinion is very, very divided on this. What is for certain is that Boris Johnson's position as Prime Minister is pretty perilous. Coming up in a moment on Talking Pints, I'm going to talk to the lawyer. He's very much the lawyer, I think, for the rich and famous Nick Freeman, aka Mr Loophole. It's Talking Pints. The GB News Tavern is open and I'm joined by celebrity lawyer Nick Freeman, who's got a cup of tea, but welcome, Cheers, Nick, to Talking Pints. Now, we're going to have a chat about this amazing reputation you've got as a lawyer for picking holes in the opposition arguments, for becoming Mr Loophole, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's quite a claim to fame, and your big celebrity customers that you've had over the years, some amazing, very famous cases. But as somebody who's very, very good at reading the law and getting customers out mm -hmm. of clients out of very, very difficult situations, what I'm going to do right now, because the Tory party are dithering. Yep. They're messing around. They are. So I'm going to give Boris, because a lot of people out there still like Boris. Let's give you one last chance. You're now in charge of Boris Johnson's defence. As his uh, legal advisor. As his legal advisor, okay. we've got the Met. Just as please. his legal advisor. Just as his legal okay. advisor. What would you advise the Prime Minister? Boris, a really easy question to it, it, No, it is a very easy question for this reason. Boris, relax. You're presumed innocent. These parties took place, if I'm correct, over six months ago. Therefore, the prosecution is out of time and they can't prosecute you for it. So just from a, a, a purely criminal perspective, I think you're OK. That was the point Shabnan Chowdhury was making. That, was it? That, that right, this, yeah, when she was on earlier yeah. on, you know, former so, 
So, yeah. so I mean, out just of time, from, from a legal perspective, that's why I clarify. Yes, yes, from, yes, yes. From a legal perspective, I think he's OK. Yes. From, from a political perspective, I mean, look, he's always got the populist vote. People love him because of his, his character, his massive personality. But I do believe that when you lose your integrity, uh, that the trust, that foundation has just broken down, I think you've got serious problems. And, and we've had repeated examples of this. And I think the public are fed up. Uh, and I don't think he's doing the Tory party any good, I'm afraid. He, he, he has become a distraction. So, for example, you know, we're, we're, there's a new highway co code coming in on I know, Saturday. I just 29th of uh, yeah. this month. Yeah. And um, the public know nothing. A third of the public didn't know anything about it. And it's just now, um, what are we talking about? All the news broadcasts are all about Boris and his parties. Mm. Um, so it's a distraction. And we're not concentrating. We've got huge problems in this country. And that's, what the, that's why he was elected, to sort out this mess. And he's distracted with, well, did he have a drinks party? Didn't he? He's not going to be prosecuted for it. What's the Sue Gray report going to say? So th that's his political career. He's a distraction, in my view. He needs to stand aside. I think he will. I think it's only a question of time. Mm. Uh, and we need, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, we need somebody else who can carry forward and, and do what the Tory voter wants. We want someone with integrity, someone who's got some vision, and move the country forward in the sort of direction that he was elected to do. And, and, you know, he's lost Dominic Cummings. He's lost his way. Mr Cummings has become very vindictive. And nasty. It's, it's nasty. It's unpleasant. He doesn't mm. do himself any favours. But the Tory party needs to regroup, regather, move forward. They were elected by a huge majority, as you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they need to just get on with the job. Well, Otherwise, they're, they're going to forfeit this opportunity. Seb was unpassionate. <laughs> Seb was unpassionate. I'm afraid I'm passionate about most things. Yeah, no, I can in tell. Including what I do. Now, now, it's very interesting. You mentioned the highway code there. Yeah. And in fact, I had a debate last night okay. on this. And, you know, I had a pro-cyclist and a pro-motorist. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I'm really worried that what's been brought in is sort of London thinking and doesn't apply to much of the rest of the country. And I can see people turning left at junctions and all sorts of problems yep. and accidents, and yep. some will know what the code is, some won't. But it's in this sphere of motoring that you've become really incredibly well-known. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, the big cases, the Beckham case. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk us well, through the Beckham case. OK, well, the first Beckham case, the, the, the first one was in 1999. Um, he, he was going too fast in his Ferrari, and... Uh, there's, there's a very rare defence, it's called a... Here is, here is a very young Beckham here, you can see. You can see. <laughs> wow, well, he, was, he was just sort of, you know, he, he was just getting back in the public eye, because you yeah. remember he got sent off in the World Cup. Oh, I know. He was just sort of regaining popularity, becoming a star again. In any case, he, he, to cut a long story short, he was driving too fast in his Ferrari um, down the A34, uh, and I got the call to ask to defend him. I went to see him at the ground, obviously it's very exciting, because I just set up on my own, it was, um, that's why I, I remember the date, yeah. January the 1st, 1999. And um, he said, look, I was petrified because this Paps was trying to Paps me and he was so close to me, he was driving so dangerously, I had to put some space between us, otherwise it was going to be an accident with serious consequences. So I argued duress of circumstance, necessity, which, you know, is, is a very rare defence. And you did that believing, be believing him to absolutely, be right? Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Well, the, just to put it into perspective, he, when he went through the camera, he dialed three 999 calls within 90 seconds of the incident. OK. And as I said to the judge on appeal, I said either he had an amazing foresight, forensic knowledge of the law, or actually what he was saying com was completely true. And it was quite a compelling argument. Interesting. Um, so, yes, he was chased by the Paps. And, you know, if someone drives so dangerously, it makes sense, doesn't it? You, and you think, oh, my God, this guy's going to kill me. He's going to cause a crash. What do you do? You've got the power in a Ferrari to leave a small car. You put your foot down, and that's what he did. 
Alex, um, Alex Ferguson was another one where there well, were interesting uh, circumstances. Well, um, Sir Alex, yeah. he was, he, he'd had a stomach problem um, and he thought he was cured. And the interesting thing about that was had he not thought he was cured, he wouldn't have been able to avail himself of that defence. And he was, so he'd been to the training ground, um, thought he was better, there was medical evidence to support it, mm. on his way back and um, he had this terrible wave within yeah. his stomach. As I said to the court, you know, he was confronted with two options and one was particularly yeah. palatable. Um, so he took the, uh, the choice to drive quickly on the hard shoulder and get to a bathroom. Um, there were no exhibits um, produced. In <laughs> you see, Nick, both, <laughs> and, of, those, and, and, both, both you know, of those stories are good because both of those stories I can see that actually that you're defending people who had justifiable reason to behave yeah, you're using the in law. the way you did. It's knowing the law and using you're it's kind of, deep. But you're kind of portrayed... Uh, you have been portrayed over yeah. the years in the newspapers as somehow what Nick Freeman does is a bit sneaky. You know, he gets people off who've behaved really, really badly. Um, but would you, or he, or he finds these loopholes. I mean, I mean, the Clarkson case was a loophole in the law. Well, no, wasn't it was it? just law. The prosecution case was in such a mess that I spoke to the barrister who was prosecuting and I said, look, I'm very happy to tell you what's wrong. I think there were five or six points that were wrong in his case. And I said, I'm, I'm happy to tell you if you're sensible about it. In other words, if you don't ask for an adjournment to try and rectify it, he said, I'm not going to do that. So I told him, he said, you're absolutely right, I'm going to knock it on the head. Mm. That's what happens. So, you know, I don't get him off. What I do is I advise my client what to do. I then go and argue. The Crown argue the other side, and someone else will decide yeah. whether there's merit in my argument. It's not, it's not my decision whether he's guilty. But kind or of the press, the, the press would... And they like the, to vilify them. Well, they like to sort of show you as that you're on the side of the bad guys. Well, because, look, we have a presumption of innocence, don't we? And, and you know, even if you... We should have. Well, we do. It, it exists in <laughs> law, know. but we forget it. We assume. We read, a, we read a sensational article in the paper, and you think, that's disgusting. How did he do that? It's awful. Particularly with sex cases, you know. We have reputations, traduce. We hear the allegation, the no charges, a lifetime ruined. I mean, I, I dealt with one soap star. Um, and he was charged with a sexual assault. The jury were out for seven minutes. It took them about four minutes to get backwards and forwards um, to the retiring room. Uh, she was obviously lying. That was the end of his career. I'm not going to mention the name. No. The case, but that was the end of his career. He'd done nothing, nothing wrong. An opportunist person. And I said to him, you need to go after him. Make a complaint for perjury, attempting to pervert the court. Mm. He said, it's destroyed my life. I've got nothing left in the tank. And he let it go. Um, so, you know, one of the things I asked for and I think we should have, is we need to go back to the days where there is actually anonymity for all people who are accused of sex offences, but at the same time, give a judge a discretion. So if, you, if the prosecution feel they're dealing with a saddle or something as odious as that, they make an application to the trial judge and say, look, we think mm. we need to lift that veil of anonymity and people will come forward. So the judge has a discretion and it's exercised judiciously, and then, then we have fair play. But why, how many lives do we have destroyed? And, you know, sex crimes are horrendous. But at the same time, we don't want to be falsely accusing people who are innocent because we're destroying their lives. Because their lives are ruined too. Who's protecting yeah. them? Yeah. Because the media yeah. aren't. And then you get a small... I, I, I mean, I, I defended a headmaster and he was accused of um, serious sex crime, rape. And uh, we, we, we were very thorough in the investigation. It was basically he says, she says. And we found a porter who remembers going past the room, and there was awful sensational headlines about this particular case because he was a headmaster, and the porter, we, we did some research, and he said, I walked past that room. The rape was supposed to have happened at midnight. He walked past that room at about 2.30 in the morning, and he heard 
a woman say, come on, baby, give it me, baby, come on, baby. Well, mm. we got that, we served it, there was a trial before the trial, mm. the case was thrown out. That was the end of his life. Mm. You know, it sticks. So the, that's, it, these sex offences are unique. They have a terrible stigma. Very interesting. And, and people need to be protected. Very interesting. And Nick, one of the things that we've had, you know, I suppose we could argue from Magna Carta onwards, has been this concept that you're judged by your peers. In most cases, yep. there is a jury. Yep. And I have to say, I was pretty shocked by what the criminal damage uh, charges jury decided over the Colston case, the Emma yeah. Colston statue in yeah. Bristol. Um, I was really surprised. Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot of fear involved in that. And I, I honestly on. believe um, that they were worried about repercussions if they returned a, not guilty, a, a guilty verdict. Because they lived I, in Bristol? I, I think so, yeah. I think that local, local people, um, so much media attention... That the, the people who pulled that down, obviously, um, are very, they're activists, aren't they? Let's say that. They accept mm. they're activists. Mm. And I think they were, the jury were under pressure. Let's, let's, I think we can say they were under pressure to return well, a verdict. I have and, to say, and that's a personal view. I have not, to say, not based, that, was, that was my gut instinct. Yeah. I didn't dare say no, it. No, well, and I'm not sure whether I'm going to be castigated for saying it now. But is, but, it, but, but is there know. an argument? Is there an argument? You know, intimidation of juries is something that, of course, we've always taken very seriously. But yeah. We do know at times it goes on. Yeah. Is there an argument in cases like this to get a jury in from another part of the country? Definitely. 100%. You know, if you look at that case, was there a legitimate excuse? The, the defendants believed quite fairly there was a legitimate excuse. They're perfectly entitled to advance that. Once they advance that, from a legal perspective, the Crown need to prove beyond reasonable doubt that legit legitimate excuse doesn't exist, mm. which is a very high threshold. And it must be sensible, not to have it just before a judge. I, I really do believe in the jury system, but get, get some people from another yeah, part of the country uh, and yeah. we're, we're, then we're sure, aren't we, that those people aren't going to be put under pressure. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're absolutely right. Yeah. That, no. that, that's what should happen in that sort of case. I've been feeling that for some time. And, of course, that sort of verdict seems to give the green light to other people who are similarly inclined to say, I can do what I like now. And that case, of course, isn't a binding yeah. authority. It's Crown Court, it's persuasive. But people are going to look at it and think, hmm, why not? I, I, I believe I have a legitimate excuse. I think they're going to be very disappointed if yeah. that argument's run again. Yeah, I'm worried about it. Nick, we've left the European Union, for good or bad. Yeah. Uh, we have, for now, stayed part of the European Convention on Human Rights. Mm -hmm. you know, I've always thought that when it comes to justice and liberty, we don't have to, we, we've, we've not got much to learn from the European I continent. Agree. I agree. Is it time now to rethink all of this? Is it time to get us back to proper common law principles? I, mean, I know that the Human Rights Act and all that's gone with it has been a jamboree for, yeah. the, for the legal industry. It, it's left-wing legislation, isn't it? Am I allowed to say that? Go, go on, keep going. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you say it, all it, the things that I get in terrible trouble it, for. I'm loving it. This. It's left-wing <laughs> left legislation. And, look, you know, we've always wanted to rule our own courts, rule our own land without being interfered with. And, yeah. you know, I, I voted for Brexit. And one of the reasons why was because I think the Supreme Court is, it should be the ultimate court in this country and I want to abide by their decisions and not by somebody else's decisions. So, yes, I mean, and I think we're, we're eventually going to get there and have sensible legislation in place. By and large, that, that's presupposing that the government get the right people advising them. And I have to say, you know, there, there are so many areas that, that, that the government, particularly in the area that I practice, and I think, well, what is going on? Who is advising the government? Where, where are they making these decisions? Like, you know, we touched upon the highway code. Yeah. You know, who says it's sensible for a pedestrian now to have the power to step out in front of a car at a junction and I've got priority? Or for a cyclist to take I, the crown I, of the I, road... 
When, when we've got very limited space, huge. this is the most congested city in the world because of cycle lanes. You don't need to use cycle lanes, Mr Cyclist. Sit in the middle of the road, hold us up, uh, and we're going to sit patiently behind you. You know, the law, you, that's what they're entitled to do. OK, they're supposed to move over. It just lacks common sense, doesn't it? And it's a shame. It, there seems to be a lack of collaborative process. Despite it, it, the problems, though, despite, I mean, and I agree with you, yeah. I mean, you know, to introduce a fundamental change to the highway code when most of the country, I didn't know about this till last Saturday. A, th I just a didn't third know. of the country didn't. And what's concerning is the remaining balance, a significant number aren't even interested. They say, I'm not going to look, I'm not interested. And of course, it's so drastic that they're gonna be, there's yeah. going to be a lot of problems and a lot of people are going to be coming to court, going to see lawyers saying, I didn't know this. Well, that's your fault. Ignorance of the law is no defence. But Nick, despite the problems, yep. when you look at our legal system, I look yep. at our legal system Best without your knowledge. Best in the world. I look at America yep. and, plea, and plea bargaining. We're yep. almost left with no choice but to have to plead guilty. Yep. I look at the European system but, you know, where in Spain they can pick you up for something, leave you in prison for months. Yeah, without placing charge, but, you know, give us some, give us something optimistic. Well, about no, our uh, look, the, the the legal system in our country is in a real mess because of lack of funding. You know, uh, lawyers now starting doing criminal legal aid work. The, the amount of work it works out probably fifteen twenty pounds an hour. Okay, mm. so you're now having defendants who are on remand in custody who are waiting. They're not going to get bail, and I think I might as well plead guilty. I haven't committed the offence. So we're in a mess here, but it's still the best system in the Good. world. But we do need an injection Good. of cash, and I, I do believe we, have, we've, we do have the best legal system in the world. And, yeah. uh, and at least we have. You know, I, I once had a case and um, d defending a, a, a very wealthy Russian son. Uh, okay, and I did the first part, won it. About to do the second part, I'm going to be scanting my details. And I said, look, we've done a deal. We've got rid of all sorts of aspects, plea guilty. We've got an indication of sentence. He said, no, well, I, I, I'm going to go to another lawyer because we're going to bribe the judge. And he wouldn't accept that, actually, that just does not <laughs> happen in this country. Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> uh, thank that. And keep up the golf. Two handicap golfer? Yes, I am, actually. Very good. Can't be bad. <laughs> Nick Freeman, thank you for joining Cheers, us. Cheers, Nigel. Nice, nice to talk to you. We have a few short moments left for Barrage the Farage. Grace asks me, will you be sticking with a zero alcohol beer next week or getting back to a decent pint? The latter, not the former, I can assure you. One viewer asks, what do you think is behind the drip feed of Boris party information? What is their motive behind it? Um, it's Cummings and vindictiveness is what I think. Nick, what do you think? I think you're right. Yeah. Spot on. yeah. Spot he doesn't on. care what damage he does. Nope. Whether he hurts Boris, hurts the Tories. I mean, th this is a... A ver it's a divorce at the worst of the worst. It's horrible. It's, it's very acrimonious. Absolutely horrible. Last question. What's your favourite cake? Oh, well, one that's provided by Carrie Antoinette, I suppose. Uh, some of you may get that. <laughs>